0: Welcome to the Ignite Physio Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Kopian, and this is episode number 15. Uh, So today we're going to be talking uh, about difficult conversations, and this is a series that I started uh, just this past week um, around how to navigate difficult conversations as physiotherapists, and uh, we're going to be delving into this topic And we're going to be uh, covering a book that um, I found really helpful and that I've had for a number of years around navigating difficult conversations. And it's a book by um, some authors from the Harvard Negotiation Project called Difficult Conversations, How to Discuss What Matters Most. And I think that as physiotherapists, we can um, definitely agree that we live and die by our ability to communicate well with our patients and colleagues. And you know I think that ranges from our ability to uh, share our assessment findings to motivating a patient uh, with their treatment plan. I think it really runs the gamut in terms of uh, what we do as clinicians. And our ability to navigate conversations, especially the difficult or awkward ones, uh, I think really can have a significant impact on our uh, ability to help patients uh, in their um, recovery process as well as just our ability to work well with colleagues uh, in a team environment. So, you know, I think that uh, when we look at the whole idea of difficult conversations, uh, it can really be any conversation where you find the topic awkward to talk about. And I think that can be, a you know, between a colleague, it can be with an employer or with patients. You know, and here's just a few examples, um, you know, that I thought of as I was working on this uh, topic. You know, it might be the, the patient that's upset about their lack of treatment progress. Um, it might be the patient that uh, engages in disrespectful behavior towards you or a colleague. Uh, you might get a critical performance review by your boss, or um, you might have uh, your front desk staff giving uh, patient referrals to your colleagues and not to yourself. And, you know, what do you do with, about that situation? Um, You may also have a patient that's upset about being billed for something they weren't aware of. And I think we could all agree that those can be sticky conversations, uh, especially when we're dealing with, uh, you know, the busyness of our day, seeing patients and and how do we navigate those conversations well. And there's definitely a certain amount of awkwardness, and I think dread that you would agree that would be part or a theme that runs through those conversations. And what we want to do is work on, um, having a framework and some tools in our toolbox around how to actually navigate those conversations uh, more effectively. I think that we can, as physiotherapists um, agree that we we like to just have people get along with us. and with that, we may often find ourselves avoiding these kind of challenging conversations. So I think we can all agree that difficult conversations uh, are a part of everyday life, and I think that they range from the mild and annoying. Uh, to the more heart-pounding and anxiety-producing uh, conversations. And the authors in the book, they highlight uh, a few criteria in terms of what makes a conversation difficult. And they would say that uh, we would feel you know, vulnerable or where self-esteem is going to be an issue. Uh, there also may be a, a situation where um, there are issues that are at stake that are important or where the outcome may be uncertain. Um, or it's a, a conversation where we care deeply about what's being talked about or who we're talking with. Uh, so I think we can agree that there's uh, potentially a lot of conversations where that uh, could uh, be the case. Now, the challenge is, is how do we navigate those conversations? And I think that we um, have a bit of a tendency to either confront um, or just completely avoid the conversation. So if we avoid, we, you know I think the, the downside is that we end up feeling like we're maybe being taken advantage of and, and things may fester sort of internally or we may just vent to a friend or colleague about it without necessarily addressing the problem. Um, now if we confront, we worry and then there's a risk that we may end up uh, with a worse situation and there may be some relationship followed. So the authors of the book, they highlight that delivering a difficult message is never easy and, and we need more than tact to get through it. Like, as they say, quote, delivering a difficult message is like throwing a hand grenade. And so no matter how much you sugarcoat a difficult message, you're going to end up with damage. And so we need more than tact. We need more than just diplomacy or just a positive attitude. And so my goal with this series is really to help distill those core messages in the book and give you some concepts and ideas that are going to help empower you to navigate difficult conversations more easily. And I think, uh, you know, as the authors point in the book, they said, you know, like it's not about eradicating all stress and anxiety with these conversations, but it's about making them a little less stressful, a little less anxiety producing so that we actually can navigate those conversations more effectively and also honor uh, who we are as people and our needs and what's important to us as well. So the first core concept that the authors share in the book, Difficult Conversations, is that there is always a common structure to every conversation that's difficult. And what they say is is that there's really three conversations that are going on in every difficult conversation. Now, I think we can all agree that the challenge is that when we are in a tough conversation, the words that are spoken are really only a small part of the actual conversation that's going on. And, you know, we may be feeling and thinking things that we're just completely not uh, saying. And, and again, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think we need to recognize that there's more than just uh, what is being said uh, in terms of what's actually going on for the other person. And I think that, uh, you know, this happens with our patients as well. And I, I think that, uh, you know, we may have conversations with our patients where they're saying a certain thing, whether it's either feeling frustrated with their exercise program um, or their lack of progress, uh, and we may not necessarily be identifying some of the cues of what they're saying and, and really uh, look to explore what's going on for them at a deeper level and really making sure that we're listening uh, to them and making sure they're feeling heard in terms of their experience. And so in the blog post that I wrote, I gave a, you know an example of an interaction between patient and therapist in terms of what's being said versus what's being thought and felt. And uh, I definitely encourage you to take a look at the blog post to see sort of that contrast. And I think that a lot of times, you know, we may find that patients just don't come back um, if they are feeling a certain amount of um, frustration or just lack of understanding by the therapist. And I think that we want to make sure that we're identifying those signals and cues and having those conversations so that we can help that patient along their path to recovery, whether that's them still continuing to see us or whether that's seeing another health professional. So I think that we can agree that there are potentially multiple conversations that are going on, whether they're being actually verbalized or not is another story. And so the authors say that there's three conversations. And the first one is the what happened conversation. A lot of difficult conversations, they center around a disagreement of what happened or should have happened, who was right, who was wrong, Who's to blame here? Um, The second conversation is the feelings conversation. And really the challenge is what do we do with those feelings and how do we help to sort of navigate the feelings that go along with these conversations? And then the third conversation that they highlight is this idea of the identity conversation. And really, it's about how does this conversation impact your self-image? So what I'd like to do right now is just unpack these conversations in a little more detail uh, and share with you uh, what the authors uh, expounded on in the book. So the what happened conversation, you know, it often feels very black and white. Uh, you know, this is what happened. This is what didn't happen. You said this. I said this. And I think what we end up doing is we start making assumptions in terms of uh, the other person and also about what actually we're talking about. And the first assumption is the truth assumption. And I think it's this fallacy that we just need to make the facts clear. Um, Problem is, is that it's rarely about the facts. It's about the perception of those facts. And uh, that's something that we have to recognize that we can assume we know the truth in the situation, but we have to uh, maybe take a step back and say there's perhaps differing perceptions around what that quote unquote truth is. The second thing which I, I just uh, really love is is this identification that we can assume intention. and this is a big one. I think we can all agree that uh, intentions are invisible, and it's amazing how quickly we jump to conclusions about one's intentions. You know, it's not unlike that iceberg analogy like where we see you know a few behaviors which are the tip of the iceberg, and then we make any number of assumptions about that person's intentions. And the third uh, assumption that we make is called the blame frame. And we somehow think that if we just can identify who's to blame for what's going on, that this is going to help us move forward in the conversation. Problem is that just ends up uh, leaving us more entrenched in our own uh, positions. So in terms of the feelings conversation, I think we can all agree that strong feelings can be messy. And especially when we're engaging in conversation, Feelings often are, you know, things that we, you know, we just want to keep the feelings outside of the conversation because they make us feel uncomfortable. They also make us feel vulnerable. And if we somehow think if we can just keep this 100% rational and if we just sterilize the conversation, it's going to make it less difficult. And I think that there's a certain amount of risk that also comes with feelings. You know, it's risky to share our feelings because we're worried that they may be inappropriate. We're worried we may be dismissed or judged poorly by that other person. And so, you know, sometimes we think, well, with all these risks around feelings, maybe it's just better to just remove the feelings conversation completely. But the authors would argue that difficult conversations don't just involve feelings. They are about feelings. And feelings are at the core of a difficult conversation. Now, I think we can safely say that not all feelings should be expressed. And it's not helpful for a conversation for all feelings to be expressed. But the authors, I like their quote here, they say, unfortunately, a lack of skill in discussing feelings may cause us to avoid not only sleeping dogs, but all dogs, even those that won't let you sleep. I think that's so true, right? You know, sometimes we think, well, because feelings can be messy and because there can be sort of negative follow from feelings, well, we should just avoid that conversation completely, even if that means that we're not going to sleep at night. And I think the other challenge too with feelings is that they're so visceral, right? We feel them in our bodies uh, so clearly, yet they're often so hard to articulate. And, you know, it sometimes takes a bit of work to explore and manage and communicate uh, the feelings that we're actually having. So the third conversation, as I mentioned earlier, is the identity conversation. And uh, they argue that the identity conversation is the most challenging conversation to unpack. Basically, what they're saying is that anytime a conversation is difficult, it's because it's involving your self concept. It's really what is this conversation saying about me? So you may think, well, Andrew, that's not that relevant. Um, You know, I'm having a conversation with a patient or with a colleague, and I don't really think it's affecting my self concept, but I think that you know, it's easy to sort of dismiss the uh, this this identity conversation, but it's often lurking in the background. So, you know, for example, if you're asking for a raise, you may worry about the possibility of getting turned down. And when we look at it from a self-concept standpoint, we may say, well, you know, how is this going to, you know, if I get turned down, how is that going to uh, impact my self-concept as a valuable and productive therapist? Uh, you know, it's not just about the money, it's about your self-image as well. Uh, And, you know, I think often that, you know, if we look at this, this can often come into play when we're, you know, not getting progress with uh, a patient and we have to make a referral to a colleague or to another health professional. And sometimes, you know, we may feel a little hesitant to do that or may actually continue treating a patient longer than we really should because we think, well, I should get this patient better. I want to see myself as a highly competent and experienced therapist. And by referring this to a colleague, I may actually, I'm really admitting at some level at a self-concept level that I may not know what's going on. And I think that by taking that bit of that step back, we can start to see where that identity conversation is taking place. So the authors, you know, really make this distinction of having a conversation where it's about having a message to deliver And shifting the conversation to a learning conversation, really where we're inviting that person into conversation with us. And they make this, uh, you know, contrast between, you know, the battle of messages versus a learning conversation. And in a battle of messages, you know, we would say, well, I want to persuade them that I'm right. And that's really what's happening at the what happened conversation. And we may say, well, I'm going to avoid my feelings or I'm just going to give into them 100%. And that's really at that feelings conversation level. And, the, and you also want to protect your self-image at all costs. Whereas in a learning conversation, we want to explore each other's stories. We want to acknowledge feelings before problem solving. Uh, and then we also want to end, understand what the identity issues are on the line for each person. So very different um, stance that we would take in a conversation. So what I want to do over the upcoming um, episodes is really further unpack what it means to have a learning conversation, and what the authors uh, recommend in terms of getting us uh, into that position of a learning conversation and some of the skills and things we need to be aware of to move us towards that place. So I'm really looking forward to uh, delving into this uh, more deeply and hope you'll enjoy this uh, series with me. Take care.